Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, fearless. I told over to Randy, I said, that sounded a little bit like thriller to me. I, if you're fearless, you have a thrill, don't you? Stand with me this morning. We are on a series talking about the Holy Spirit. And we believe in the Holy Spirit and believe that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. One of the funny stories I heard years ago, uh, one woman who had a husband that was a rascal was at the altar one time and he was praying, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. And she said, Lord, don't do it. He leaks. (laughs) So we don't want any leakers here, right? But... uh, Let's pray together. We're going to get into this, and uh, we're going to really get down to the nitty-gritty of the Word of God today. Father, thank you for what we've already felt, the wonderful music, the singing, the worship. Lord, we're thankful for our young people, our kids that are in the back learning of you and worshiping you. And Lord, what an honor it is just to be a part of that. Lord, we're just here with open minds and hearts. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're going to learn something today. Now turn back to him and say, it's about time. In John chapter 14, Jesus begins to introduce us to the Holy Spirit. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he'll give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you, will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Now, when Jesus begins to talk to us about the Holy Spirit, most of us know about the fatherhood of God and the sonship, but a lot of people haven't heard a lot about the Holy Spirit. Would you agree with that? Some people have been taught really against a lot of the aspects, the characteristics, and the nature of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is God. We have the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. There's not three gods. There's one God. But the Holy Spirit is God working personally in our lives. This is what Jesus said. He will abide with us. He will dwell with us. And he will not leave us. Now, Jesus says that and emphasizes those three things. Why is Jesus saying that to us? And I think we have some of the answer in John chapter 1. Listen as I read. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but he that should be revealed to Israel, therefore... I came baptizing with water. John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Now Jesus... He says, he abides with us, dwells with us, will not leave us. And then John comes along, and I've underlined this for emphasis. And I want you to look at this verse. He says in verse number uh, 32, 
He says the descendants, the, the Spirit descending from heaven, and he remained on him. Look at verse 33. Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him. Why does John repeat this twice? Why does Jesus three times talk about the nature of the Holy Spirit abiding, dwelling, being with us, and not leaving us? Because in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came, would come upon the prophets, but the Holy Spirit would, would leave, come inspire, then leave. The Holy Spirit, as we said last week, came revealing to us in creation in first uh, uh, chapter of Genesis chapter 2, but the Holy Spirit would come, descend, inspire, then lift. But how many of you know we're under a different covenant now? We're in a different place. We're in, a, we're in a different time. And what Jesus is saying to us and what John is indicating, he says, okay, we're familiar with the Holy Spirit coming down and inspiring and anointing and then lifting. But he says, this is different because the Holy Spirit is going to come on him and remain. Say that with me. And remain. Now let's all say it. And remain. So now we're entering into a new time and a new covenant. Under the old covenant, the Holy Spirit didn't remain with them always. But under this covenant, Jesus said the Holy Spirit would come and remain and abide and dwell with us. So today, we have the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus would go ahead and give us the characteristics and the nature of the Holy Spirit. He said the Holy Spirit is our helper, our comforter, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come and be sent in Jesus' name. He will teach us all things, bring all things to our remembrance. How many of you need help today? Okay. How many of you need a comforter today? You have an advantage over the world. Do you know that? You and I, as believers, we have an advantage over the world. We have a helper. We have empowerment. We have a comforter. We have someone who abides with us, dwells with us that allows us to have an edge, if you will, over the world because of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's shift gears here. And if you have a pencil and paper, I suggest you take notes this morning. There are three major Jewish feasts in the Old Testament. And God was very specific that they needed to keep those feasts. There's about seven altogether. But these three feasts, they were required to show up and participate in. Exodus chapter 23, I'm going to begin reading in verse number 14. Three times you shall keep a feast to me in the year. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. You shall eat the unleavened bread seven days as I commanded you at the appointed time of the month of Abib. For in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty. And the feast of harvest, the first fruits of your labors which you've sown in the field, and the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you've gathered in the fruit of your labors in the field. Three times in the year all your males shall appear before the Lord your God. Now he says this again in Exodus chapter 34. I'm going to read verse number 18. The feast of unleavened bread you shall keep seven days. You shall eat unleavened bread as I commanded you at the appointed time in the month of Abib. In the month of Abib you came out of Egypt. Verse 22. And you shall observe the feast of weeks for the first fruits of the wheat harvest. And the feast of ingathering at the year's end. Three times in the year shall all your men appear before the Lord 
the Lord God of Israel. Now notice these three feasts. It is Passover, it is the Feast of Weeks, which we call Pentecost, and it's the Feast of Tabernacles, or Shavuot is uh, the, the Hebrew word, or Shavuot is the word for Passover, and then Sukkot is the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths. Now, let's take these feasts and let's just analyze them just for a minute. Passover. Most of us know what Passover is. Jesus died the weekend of Passover. So they were taking the Passover. We know it as the Lord's Supper. That's what we're celebrating today. But that's when Jesus, as the Lamb of God, was slain on the cross of Calvary. Shed his blood, gave his life, so you and I can be saved. Do you know we're saved by faith? We're saved by grace because we believe in what Jesus Christ did. Correct? He shed his blood, gave his life, and if you believe in him, you can be saved. Now, the next feast that they would celebrate was the feast of Passover or the feast of first fruits. And then the next one or the last one was the feast of the ingathering or the feast of tabernacles or Sukkot. Now, what are significant about these feasts? And I'm going to skip Passover because we're going to go back to it here in a moment. I mean, uh, Pentecost. So Passover is when the Lord dies, that is the feast, sheds his blood. John pointed this out. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which is coming to take away the sins of the world. So symbolically, that Lamb that began in Egypt, that every year they're celebrating this freedom from bondage, really is pointing to the true Lamb of God, which is Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, this Feast of Tabernacles, or the ingathering, is the last feast that is late September or all the way up into October. Now, this feast, and I want you to see this, is the reminder of Israel in their wanderings. Forty years they wandered in the wilderness. They were headed somewhere, but they hadn't arrived yet. So when they would celebrate that feast, they would pitch a tent or build a booth, pretty crude, usually put palm leaves or something else over the top of it, and they would leave their homes and they would go out and live in these booths and celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles in these, what we would call tents or sheds or booths or lean-tos, so they would remember that they came out of Egypt and they were headed to the Promised Land. Now, I want you to see something here. It's also the end of the harvest. So any fruits, any vegetables, since it's late September going into October, it's the last ingathering of any of the fruit or the harvest that they would have, and now the winter months are coming. So it's a reminder of the wanderings, they're dwelling in tents and in booze, they've not arrived at their final destination. How many of you think that at Passover, we are celebrating Jesus Christ and what he did at the cross? Is that necessary? Absolutely. Okay, look at the last one here. The Feast of the Ingathering, or we would call the Feast of Tabernacles. How many of you know this is not your final resting place? You are a pilgrim and a stranger, and you're headed somewhere. Okay? Our final destination is not here. We're looking for Canaan. We're looking for a promised land. And honey, it ain't here. Pardon the English. So the first feast was about the sacrifice. The last feast is about 
remember, you're, you're just a traveler. You're headed somewhere, and it is about you have a destination you're going to. But the middle feast, now remember, these three feasts, they're required to, to make and to celebrate, and they would have pilgrimage. They, they would come up to celebrate in Jerusalem. Have you ever read in the Psalms, the Psalms of Ascent and the Psalms of Descent? Now, now what does that mean? When they would go up to the, uh, the tabernacle of the temple, and it was in different places years ago, but finally it settled there on the temple mount. As they would go in to the temple area, they would sing some of the psalms, and they would call them psalms of ascent because they're going up to the, the temple mount. They're actually ascending up to a high place because Jerusalem and the temple's built at the highest place right there. So they would sing. And when they would leave, they would sing the songs of descent, and they would go up with the songs of ascent. You know, uh, we still do that like at camp. The wheels on the bus go round and round. Okay, stop that, Pastor, right now. And if you're not saved, it's 99 bottles of something on the wall. But uh, y'all are so holy. But you understand what I'm saying? So these large groups coming together, they would sing, going, they would sing as they're leaving, but they were coming to celebrate. And each one of these feasts represented something. It's uncanny, it's planned. God used every feast for his own mission. So when Jesus came on Passover to die, he was uh, the true Passover lamb. One day he's going to come back and gather. The last feast is called the feast of what? The ingathering. Do you know one day he's going to gather you up? One day the last person is going to get saved. Now, let's go to the middle one. The feast we know as Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks. Why did they call it Feast of Weeks? Because seven weeks were determined from Passover, so seven weeks in one day equals 50. Pentecost literally means 50. That's what it means. So when you hear someone say, well, uh, I'm not Pentecostal or uh, whatever, well, listen, the word just means 50. So take a chill pill. <laughs> so it means 50. 50 days from Passover, they would begin to celebrate the Feast of Weeks, or the Feast of First Fruits, or the Feast of Passover. Now, what was Passover? It was the beginning of the harvest. It's when the grain would begin to ripen, and the vegetables would begin to produce, and the fruit would begin to produce. So it's the very beginning of the harvest, and what they harvested first, they would bring to the Lord, and it was called First Fruits. The first fruits. It was also a time that they would look, looking forward, celebrating the giving of the law or the Torah. Now remember, Passover, they're in Egypt. They, they eat the lamb. They have their sandals on, staff in their hand. The Lord sends the last plague, and then they leave at Passover. Passover shows them they're free from the bondage of Egypt. Do you realize when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're free from the bondage of sin? Now, 50 days later, guess what happened? Moses goes on top of the mountain, and the, the law, the commandments, begin to come. So he begins to receive the law. That is at the same time as Passover. 
I mean, as uh, Pentecost. So we go from Passover to Pentecost. There's too many P's here for me. Uh, we go from Passover to Pentecost. And so the law is given. So not only is it the beginning of the harvest, it's the first fruits, it's celebrating the law. This is what the Lord said through the Old Testament prophets. He said, I will take my law out of your stony hearts. The original law was written on stone. It was hard. It was demanding. But he said, I will take my law and write them on the fleshly tables of your heart. Today, you don't have to go look at the Ten Commandments. You don't have to go look at a list to see if you have done something wrong. Do you realize the Holy Spirit within you, and we talked about this last week, will convince you of sin. So you and I don't have to have someone to tell us we've sinned. We are convinced by sin and convinced of sin by the Holy Spirit. Now, the Bible doesn't say the Holy Ghost will condemn you in your sin, but convince you of your sin. We're all on the same page here. Okay. So we, we have Passover. We have Pentecost. We have the Feast of Tabernacles. We have the Feast of the Ingathering, in which is the Feast of Tabernacles. So right in the middle is the Feast of Pentecost. Now here's the question. Why did the Lord tell them to go to the upper room on the Feast of Pentecost to wait for the promise of the Father? I'm going to tell you why. I'm glad you're thinking about this. Because it began the first of the harvest. The first people being saved under the new covenant that we have recorded is at the feast of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes. Now, I, I, you know, when we started this series, I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this from a different angle because we don't hear the same old, same old, right? And we want to really get it down doctrinally and scripturally. You see, what we don't want to do is because we've heard so many things. This is what Jesus said. He said, because of your traditions, you make the word of God of no effect. Denominationalism does not trump the word of God. When I was a young person growing up, I grew up in the Baptist church. And uh, I didn't hear much about this at all. Can you imagine that? And, and most of the people in here probably come out of a Baptist church or some other church. And then we started going somewhere else. And let me tell you, the pendulum swung really far. So what I want you to do is see what the Word of God says about the Holy Spirit. Not a church, not a denomination, not a group, not an organization, not even grandma. And I may get in trouble for that. Grandma does not trump the Word of God. So when you hear things like this, and, and I've heard this. Well, now the Holy Spirit was for them 2,000 years ago, but it's not for us today. The Holy Spirit was just for those apostles, but it's not for us today. Okay, let's see what the Word of God says about it. Jesus showed himself alive with many infallible proofs for 40 days. So 40 days he shows himself alive. Acts 1, he ascends to heaven and he says, go to the upper room. He said, wait, tarry for the promise of the Father. What's the promise of the Father? The Holy Spirit's the promise of the Father. So they're waiting for 10 days in that upper room. So the apostles are there, but we have a number. The number's what? 120. It's not just apostles in that upper room. 
There's more than just apostles there. It's not just men in that upper room. It's more than men. Women are in that upper room. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is in that upper room. What are they doing? For 10 days, they're waiting for the promise of the Father. In Acts 2, the Bible says, while they were gathered together in one mind, one accord, there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. Why did it sound like a wind? Because the name for spirit in Hebrew is, is the word ruach. When God breathed into Adam and made him a living soul, he breathed the breath into him or the wind into him and animated Adam and he became a living soul. When Jesus is meeting with his disciples after the resurrection, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Just as we see in, Act, in, in Genesis, uh, uh, Genesis chapter 2. So he says, wait for the promise of the Father. Acts 2, sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. It filled the house where they were sitting. And they began to speak with other languages. And setting over their head were cloven tongues like as of fire. And it set on each of them. So they began to speak in languages, and most of them were Galileans, and you'll see that there in Acts chapter 2. But when they began to speak in these languages, there are several nations listed there, but there's people from all over the world coming together, gathering for this feast. And they hear them in their own language giving praises to God. And they ask the question, how is it these being Galileans can speak in the language that we hear them in giving the glorious works of God and we heard this last Sunday night this is an exact reversal of the Tower of Babel what he did he confused their language at Babel because they had a evil motive of what they were doing trying to get to heaven by their own works right how many of you know you can't get to heaven by your own works you got to go through Passover first right you got to have the blood of the Lamb. But at Pentecost, as they are speaking in this heavenly language, everybody now can understand. Where before, everybody didn't understand anybody. So there's a unity. There is a ingathering of unity and conformity here, but it only comes by the Spirit. It doesn't come by their own works. It comes by the Spirit. Now, Peter preaches... Because they said, what does this mean? So he gets up, you know the story. This is that which spoke about the prophet Joel in the last day, said the Lord upon my spirit upon all flesh. And so he preaches the first sermon, and he, at the end of the service, the sermon, the Holy Spirit began to do what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do. Convince the world of what? Sin. And Peter's pretty rough on these guys. You with wicked hands, you've slain the Lord of glory here. You've crucified him whom God has raised from the dead. And the Bible says they were pricked in their hearts. Or we would say this, they were convicted in their hearts. And they asked the second question, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, let's go back. It wasn't just the apostles. It wasn't just men. There was 120 men and women in that upper room that received the Holy Spirit. Now, there are 3,000 people getting saved and receiving the Holy Spirit, and they were added to the church. And it doesn't stop there. 
Do you realize when Philip went to Samaria, they're baptizing people and they're receiving the Holy Spirit? And when Paul goes to Ephesus, he's baptizing people and they're receiving the Holy Spirit? And when he writes his letter to the Corinthians, we know that they've received the Holy Spirit. We're talking about decades later, they're still receiving the Holy Spirit. And today, how many of you know the promise of the Holy Spirit is still available for us today? Not, not because I say so, because that's what the Word of God bears out. Now, I want you to see something here. When Peter is looking at this group that said, what shall we do? And he told them, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He said, for the promise is to you, your children, and all them that are far off. He's not talking about distance. He's not talking about from Jerusalem to Samaria. It's not even the equation here. He's talking generationally. Right? So he said, it's to you your children, and the generations that are far off. Now let's just take it a little bit further. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Can I hear an amen? amen. So that's what he said. And, and we see it later on in the book of Acts. We see it in uh, Paul's travels. We, we see it with the Corinthians. And folks, we're still seeing it today, aren't we? We're seeing people being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, take your Bible to Hebrews chapter 6. I want to show you something here. We just have about 10 minutes left, and we're going to get in as much as we can here. The writer of Hebrews tells us, beginning at verse number uh, 1, Hebrews 6, therefore, leaving the discussion or the, the doctrines and the principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. Now, he's saying there is a danger if we don't keep growing. How many of you would agree with me on that? He said there is a peril if we don't keep progressing. So the Lord never wanted us to get to a point where we didn't progress or grow. So he's given us a warning here. Now then he says, let's talk about some elementary things. Everybody say elementary or basic things. So elementary basic things. Th this is what I found out when I was in school. There's elementary school, there's junior high and high school. I mean, you know, it gets harder as you go. I told the early service this morning, I did pretty good in math until I got in uh, junior high and high school and they started putting the alphabet in math and, and I got lost. They had A's and B's and X's and Y's and and I had to reacclimate all that. Some of you are looking at me like, I know exactly what you're saying, Pastor. So, he, he calls this, now look at this again. He says these are the basic or elementary principles or doctrines. Now notice what he says. The foundation of repentance from dead works. You know what that is? That, that's your basic coming to Christ, right? Because when you come to Christ, you're dead in your sin. Dead works. So, when you come to Christ, the Holy Spirit has to draw you to Christ. The Holy Spirit is at work in your salvation experience immediately. Immediately. How many believe that? Now, now, listen to what Jesus said. He said, he shall testify of me. What does that mean? 
the Holy Spirit shines a spotlight on Jesus. Why does the Holy Spirit shine a spotlight on Jesus? Because he's the only Savior. You, you can't get saved without Jesus. Jesus said that in John 14. He says, no man comes to the Father except by me or through me. How many of you know that's what he said? So the Spirit shines a light on Jesus as the Savior. And notice what Jesus said. And he will convince the world of sin. So not only is the Holy Spirit spotlighting Jesus, but the Holy Spirit is doing what? Convincing us of our sin. Because if you're not convinced of your sin, you will never ever have true repentance. If you're not convinced of your sin, you will never ever have true repentance. I've prayed with a lot of people at this altar. And you've heard this story. One day there was a lady here and most of the time I don't go down and pray, but one day I went down and I prayed with her and I said, how can I, I pray with you? And she said, well, I, I guess I need to get saved. And I said, that's awesome. Let's ask the Lord to forgive us of our sins. And you know what she did? She looked at me and said, I hadn't done anything wrong. Okay, you can't get anybody saved until first you can get them lost. Everybody all right? You can't get them saved until they realize they're lost. So the first elementary thing is the doctrine of what? Repentance, because that's how we begin. What's the first thing Peter said on the day of Pentecost? What shall we do? First thing he said was what? Repent. So it, it, it's elementary. You've got to repent and begin. Now, now notice here, look with me. He says, repentance from dead works, faith toward God. How many know you have to believe in him? Got to believe. Got to repent. Got to believe. Verse 2, the doctrine of baptisms. Everybody say baptisms. Do you realize the word baptisms is plural there? Look at it, please. It's plural. What does that mean? There's more than one baptism. Now, depending on what church you came out of, you've only heard about one baptism, and it was water baptism. And we believe in water baptism. And we believe you should be baptized in water. But the water itself will not save you. There's power in the blood, not just power in the tub. Correct? So, he talks about the doctrine of baptisms plural here. So, let's look at three baptisms mentioned in the New Testament. The first one is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So turn there if you'd like to. We're going to go down to verse number 12. For as, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. And we talked about this, uh, or Jason talked about this on Sunday night. It, it is the, the diversity of the body of Christ. Many members, one body. How many know we have Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but there's only one God? So we have many members, but there's only how many bodies? There's one body. So he says the one body also is Christ. Verse 13, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we've all been made to drink into one spirit, for in fact the body is not one member, but many. How did you get in the body of Christ? According to Paul, you were baptized by the Spirit into the body. 
Okay? Now, th this is the body of Christ right here. The church is the body of Christ. He's the head. How many of you agree with that? The church is the body. I don't care what shingles hanging over the door, but if you're a real believer in Jesus Christ, then you're a part of the body of Christ. How did you get there? Well, you, you believed, you repented, you accepted, but also the Holy Spirit was at work in your life to baptize you into the church or the body of Christ. Now, how do I know that? Because this is what Jesus said in John chapter 3. Now, he is talking to Nicodemus, who most likely is sitting on the Sanhedrin, who is one of the wisest Jews of the day. Notice what Jesus said. Verse 5, most assuredly, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. You cannot get into the church. You cannot get into the body of Christ unless there's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. How many of you believe that? Okay. Now, we're also baptized in water. How many of you here have been baptized in water? Why did we get baptized in water? Because we should have got baptized in water. Here's a good question. Why was Jesus ever baptized? Because this is what Peter said in Acts 2, he says, for the remission of sins. And Jesus had no sin. He, he's spotless, perfect. He, he never committed sin. Do you know a lot of believers today believe Jesus committed a sin while he was on this earth? That's heresy. That's heresy. Jesus never committed a sin. He's the perfect, spotless Lamb of God. But he went to John... And said, John, baptize me. And John was reluctant to baptize him. He said, I'm not even worthy to carry your shoes or unlatch your sandal. And Jesus said, suffer it to be so or do it to fulfill all righteousness. Why did Jesus tell John to go ahead and baptize him? Because this is the ultimate example of the Son of God right here. When we look at Jesus, he's our example. The preacher's not your example. The, the pastor's not your example. We should be good examples. But your ultimate example is Jesus Christ. So why did Jesus get baptized? Because that's what good sons and daughters of God do. They follow in baptism. Why do we do that? There's a whole bunch of verses on that. We're not going to get into it. But this is why. Because when you were a sinner, and we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, you were dead in your sins. But when you accepted Jesus Christ by faith, through grace, you accepted him. Now you're dead to your sin when you were dead in your sin. You know what you do with something that's dead? You bury it. Now I can't take you to Fairlawn or Rest Haven. But I can take you to the water. And symbolically what I do, I put you under the water and I, I, I bury you with Christ in the water of baptism. So the old man is going down. I don't leave you there very long. There's a few people I'd like to hold a little longer. I'm just kidding. So I don't leave you down there, pull you right back up. What is that? You just identified with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Just as God raised him from the grave, this is found in Romans, so in likeness, 
We are doing the same thing we're identifying with Jesus in his death, his burial, and resurrection through water baptism. But there's another baptism. And it's found in all four Gospels. It's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. How many of you have ever heard of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? How many of you have been taught against the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Some hands are going up. Now, Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. John the Baptist is speaking again. And... Uh, this is what he says, I indeed baptize you with water into repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now John says this was what a baptism. The word baptism means to immerse. So John said he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with what? fire. Mark 1.8. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Luke 3.16. John said, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Do you realize on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came and indwelt believers to remain, abide, and not to leave, Okay, Not just come and lift, as the Old Testament, we're in a new covenant now, but to come and abide and remain, it says, cloven tongues like as of fire set on each of them. Now, each of them is 120. So every one of them had tongues of fire, flames of fire setting on them. And it's exactly what John said would happen in the Gospels looking forward to the day of Pentecost. So today, you and I See a baptism into the body, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 12, 13. We see baptism into water, and most of us understand that because most of us have been baptized in water. Then he says that he's going to also baptize us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So there are three baptisms that are referred to there in Scripture. Now, all three of these agree together. Does Father, Son, Holy Spirit, these all agree together as one and they are one, right? All three of these baptisms come together in agreement also. So you and I today have the ability to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire as it is listed here because it is one of the elementary, basic baptisms, plural, that's referred to in the Word of God. Now, as I finish here, some of you are a little reluctant, and I understand your reluctance, because th this is what we have to overcome. The Holy Spirit is not weird. People are weird. People are weird. And they do things that's not even mentioned in the Bible. They do things that are crazy, and the Holy Spirit's not crazy. If services are driving more people away than bringing people in, we're out of the will of God, and it's not a real manifestation of the Holy Spirit. But that being said, the Holy Spirit doesn't operate like we operate. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Can I hear an amen? So we also have to take that into account because if we don't, what happens is this. It gets real crazy over here. Nothing going on over here. 
I mean, we're, we're, we're twice dead and plucked up over here, but we're still having church. Come on now. And over here, people are doing the funky chicken, <laughs> running any visitors out of the church. And I'm not saying that we don't have physical manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Please get my heart where the balance is here. And if you miss it, you're going to miss what I'm saying. Because the Holy Spirit is absolutely necessary for us to complete our mission on this earth. I can't do it in my power. Denomination is not big enough. Church is not big enough. You're not good enough. I'm not good enough. But over here, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater because Sister Yaya over here went crazy. Our Brother Wonderful over here is having a laughing fit every five minutes and people are going out the back door. And I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit won't have physical manifestations because we're going to see that later. There is manifestations of the Holy Spirit. But we got to get in this book and figure out what the Word of God says because people have been programmed to do what they've seen done. Let me give you a real spiritual line. Monkey see, monkey do. And because we thought brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so were spiritual, then we mimic that. And it may need to be mimicked because it may be right, but it could be wrong. And brother and sister so-and-so never could reach more than 30 people in 50 years. Can I tell you the first thing the Bible says the Holy Spirit empowers you to do? You know what it is? To be a witness. The first thing Jesus said, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. The first reason Jesus says you have the Holy Spirit is to be a witness. And if your witness turns people off, you've got a wrong case of the Holy Spirit. If people are running from you instead of being attracted to you, you need to rethink this. Everybody okay? I'm just going to give you what the Word says. If you don't agree, take it up with Him. But I'm just saying, there are times we need a greater manifestation of the Holy Spirit. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to move among us and through us and to empower us to see wonderful things happen. But yet we don't want to get to the place where it becomes weird. And this is what's happened. And so many people have just turned off an experience with the Holy Spirit. And that shouldn't be the case. There's no reason why you should embrace Pentecost just like you do Passover and just as you do the Feast of Tabernacles realizing that Jesus is coming. How many of you know Jesus is coming? And that he came to die on the cross at Passover. He's going to come again to receive the harvest. But between now and then, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to do what he asked us to do. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to do what he asked us to do.
And every one of us here, our prayer should be, Lord, fill me with your spirit. And it can be as simple as you being at home, driving down the road, or standing at this altar, or praying in your prayer closet. Marla Allen back there, uh, Marla shared something with me, oh, probably about a year or so ago. Marla was raised in a different church, and of course she's heard this teaching, and her and I have had conversations about it. And Listen, if you've never been around this, or you haven't been taught this, it's, it's so different. And some of you have been taught against it. And so Marla called me one night, and uh, I think it was a Tuesday night, and she said, Pastor Mike, let me tell you what happened to me. She said, I was praying, and as I began to pray, and I really began to seek God, I began to pray in a language I had never prayed in before. And she was so excited. I remember several years ago, there was a lady standing over here to my right, and uh, I had walked by, and, and I said, how can I pray for you? And her uh, father had been a pastor, and she was raised in church. And she said, Pastor Mike, I, want, I, I would like to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And, and my prayer was so simple, it was amazing. I said, Lord, baptize her in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and guess what happened? He baptized her in the Holy Spirit. But sometimes we have somebody over here saying, hang on. Somebody over here saying, let go. Well, do I hang on or I let go? Well, depends what's going on with you, I guess. So I'm not all against that. I'm just saying sometimes we make it so hard and, and so maybe crazy when in Hebrews 6 it says it's one of the elementary things. It's one of the very simple things. You just say, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. And then allow the manifestation of your Spirit to come out of me. And guess what? That'll happen. It'll happen. Stand with me. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.